Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. I'm Jamie Floyd, host of All Things Considered at WNYC. You're listening to Politics Brief, a collection of our very best coverage of the 2018 midterm elections. We'll share the sharpest and most timely talk, analysis, and original reporting from shows like The Takeaway, The Brian Lehrer Show, On the Media, and Radio Lab Presents More Perfect, and from the WNYC Newsroom, which is watching key races in New York and New Jersey. Enjoy. It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning again, everyone. We will keep you updated on the details of that reported arrest of someone in connection or taking someone into custody, at least, in connection with the mailing of pipe bombs as being reported by the AP. Uh, We could get more details on identity uh, and anything else in a matter of minutes, or it may take longer than that, but anything we get during this hour, we will bring it to you on The Brian Lehrer Show. As we go on otherwise to issue 25 in our 30 issues in 30 days fall election series, and this issue does intersect with today's headlines as we zero in on the U.S.-Mexico border, specifically the migrant caravan that's headed north from Central America. Uh, On Monday, the U.N. estimated the group is made up of 7,000 322 people slowly making their way by foot from Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador, though that number is said to have shrunk in the past couple of days. President Trump has painted a dark portrait of the group, as you know, calling the movement an assault on our country. The president also maintains that there are terrorists from the Middle East within the caravan, despite not having a shred of evidence to back up that claim. There's no proof of anything. There's no proof of anything, Uh, but they could very well be. No proof of anything, so he can say anything. The Trump administration says they plan to dispatch as many as 1,000 additional additional troops to the southern border and possibly close it all together to Central Americans seeking asylum. Where do you see what happens over the next couple of weeks? You're going to see a very secure border. You just watch. Just watch. Very secure. And the military is ready. They're all set. They're all set. Trump at a rally getting USA chance by saying the military is ready at the southern border. I will add that the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen uh, says today the military has, quote, no intention of shooting at the caravan. So there's that. But the president also has gone so far as to say the Democrats were the ones to organize the caravan, also with no evidence. And with midterm elections less than two weeks away, he is using the issue to drive a political wedge. And remember, it's going to be an election of the caravan. You know what I'm talking about. So we'll have to wait until November 6th to see how much he's right about that. 
Nick Miroff covers immigration enforcement, drug trafficking, and homeland security for the Washington Post. He joins us now to give us a more accurate picture of what's going on below the border today and in a larger sense. Nick, thank you for joining us. Welcome to WNYC. My pleasure. Are you, are you sure we're only issue number 25? <laughs> <laughs> only 25. Feels like number one. Yeah, it feels yes. like number one to me right now. Yes, that's right. Well, that's what happens when you rank them chronologically rather than uh, <laughs> like the Billboard music charts. So how far is this caravan from the U.S. border? Um, well, last I checked, it's still uh, over 900 miles away, and that is um, pretty much as the crow flies. Uh, there is no um, telling at this point where um, and when the caravan will arrive at the U.S. border because this caravan, unlike the one this last spring that really um, the, the president also seized on, um, uh, this particular caravan you know, doesn't have a leader, uh, doesn't appear to have a plan and is much more of a kind of disorganized and or- organic um, you know, migratory phenomenon. So um, we don't know if they're going to arrive as a single, you know, you, you know, a single mass, um, uh, nor where, nor when. In your Washington Post article, the border is tougher to cross than ever, but there's still one way into America. You describe a scene in which a woman and her son cross from Mexico into Texas and actually want to be caught by a Border Patrol agent. This might seem counterintuitive to some listeners. Why would they want that? That is really the way it works now at the border. Um, last month, uh, there were a, a record number of migrant family members that came across. Now, that means um, a, uh, at least one parent and child. Um, they constituted more than 50 percent of all um, of all people arrested uh, between the U.S. ports of entry along the southern border. And that is really an extraordinary increase and a, an extraordinary change from the status quo of a few years ago. What it, what it, it, what it indicates is that, you know, that, that, this, that in an era of, of large numbers of, of mostly Mexican, you know, laborers coming over trying to sneak into the United States, that is, that is over. That is not the way things work at the border today. And what, what we're seeing now are, the, are families primarily from Central America coming over, turning themselves in with children in hopes of being taken into detention and seeking some kind of humanitarian protection through the U.S. legal system that allows them to be to enter the United States and get into the uh, U.S. legal system. And in most cases, because the government has very little ability to keep people with children in detention, they are um, in almost all cases being being released pending some sort of court date. And that is the thing that is really driving the Trump administration crazy. Also joining us now is New York Times correspondent Annie Corial, who's been on the road with the caravan, and she joins us from Mexico to tell us some of what she's seen so far. Annie, welcome back to WNYC. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Can you hear hear me, Brian? I sure can. Where are you, and what kinds of people are you meeting? So we are now on the road uh, between a town called Bijijapan and Arriaga in Chiapas, Mexico, in southern Mexico. It's green, it's lush, it's very hot, and uh, this is one of the longest legs of the caravan's journey so far in Mexico. It's about 40 miles, so they're, they're trying to get to the next town where they will um, regroup for the night and decide their next move. 
What are some of the reasons you're hearing that people decided to join a massive group? Are there benefits of traveling in large numbers? There certainly are. Uh, I think there's a sense that if you're part of such a large group, you're not only safe from or safer from the usual threat of uh, gangs that kidnap Central American migrants, but you're also protected to a degree from the Mexican immigration authorities, which, uh, according to the latest stats from the Mexican government, have deported 70,000 people this year. So it would, given the amount of media attention that this caravan is, is getting, it would look very bad for, <clears throat> for the Mexican authorities to be deporting people en masse. So there's a sense that, that they're safe in that regard as well. Another reason to join this caravan, um, which was, it, it came together very quickly um, this, this month, uh, is to avoid the high cost of, of paying a smuggler, a coyote. So the people here are not paying, they are able to go without that guide. Now the reports are that the size of the caravan has shrunk to less than half of what it was a week ago. The Mexican authorities are saying the latest estimates are closer to 3,000 than 7,000. Are you seeing evidence of that? Many people falling away as you travel with the caravan? Uh, I would say not so much. I think they're spread over a larger geographical area because some groups um, lag behind. Um, you know, mothers with children, people who are sick, uh, while other groups have sort of s- tried to get ahead. So it means that they're, they're more diffuse over a larger area. Uh, we spoke to medical officials in one town who had treated four and a half, four and a half thousand people uh, just two days ago. So that's a pretty high concentration. And those are people who are just getting med- medical treatment. So advocates have pointed out that Mexican officials, it's in their interest, perhaps, to downplay the numbers. Uh, but so far, we don't have an official stat. Mm. That being said, it is clear that some people have decided to quit and either go back to Honduras uh, or wherever they may be from or apply for asylum here in Mexico. I know you have to go in a minute or two, Annie. I want to get the two of you to compare notes on something for a minute. My guests are Annie Coriel from the New York Times, traveling with the caravan of migrants from Central America currently in Mexico, and Nick Miroff, national security reporter for the Washington Post, who's written about it. People don't leave their homes lightly. Any migration is a heavy thing, a life-altering decision with much loss and fraught with risk, like you were talking about all those people who have needed medical attention in addition to whatever hope, the idea of 7,000 people walking together to leave their homes and head to the unknown, what kind of conditions at home create something like that? Annie, you first, since you're speaking to people presently. Sure. I think that there's a severe economic hardship and unemployment would probably be the number one reason. Uh, lack of opportunity, in some cases facing even extreme hunger, uh, there was a drought in Honduras, which made things worse for some of the farmers among among the caravan. Uh, then you see cases of um, people who have really suffered threats of violence. Uh, I met one man 
who had been uh, assaulted within an inch of his life and his uh, father was assaulted as well and later died from his injuries. And he is, um, the, the, the assailant is now out of prison because he paid his way out. This guy's dealing with death threats. And so he joined the caravan and he's carrying all his paperwork with him, both um, digital and hard copies, so that he can present those at the border and ask for asylum. So you see sort of a, a number of different picture. You see a number of different uh, profiles of the people in the caravan. Nick, same question. Yeah, I mean, you know, when when people ask me if I'm surprised that so many people are coming, I I, I say I'm surprised that more people aren't coming. I mean, things in in Honduras where I was just a few weeks ago are 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 that bad, and um, you know, the unemployment rate across the Midwestern United States is you know something like two percent, and everyone is hiring. And so, um, you know, mixed in with people who are fleeing violence or trying to reunite with relatives at home, there is uh, an enormous, you know, the enormous pull of the American economy. And, you know, in Honduras, if you get, um, you know, if you can make $10 a day, that's a pretty good day. And there are a shortage, you know, there's a deficit of jobs that, you know, pay a wage like that. Um, And, you know, just to think that you could make more than 10 times that in an hour you know, working in in somewhere in the Midwest where you know where there's this labor shortage, um, you know, even making it to the United States and and managing to to work here for a few years and sock away um, a little bit of money until you're you know maybe until you're deported, you know, that's transformational in the in the in the fate um, and the life of a Central American family. Annie, to Trump's claim, have you seen any Middle Easterners? No, Brian. To date, I have not. I've seen uh, a lot of families, a lot of young people who are traveling alone, who heard this on the news, and in some cases set out alone for walking for three days before they joined up with the caravan. Uh, There are mothers and children. There are a great number of um, young unemployed men. Um, But so far, I have not seen any of these um, Middle Eastern people mixed in. Nobody speaking Arabic, having trouble communicating with all the people speaking Spanish. Not at all. Annie Coriel from the New York Times with the caravan will continue following your coverage. Nick Miroff from the Washington Post will continue with you right after this. You're listening to the Politics Brief Podcast. We'll be back after a quick... What should I play? I haven't even tried this piano yet. Why don't we play a little bit of a piece that I think you might know. It's a new season of the Open Ears Project. I'm Terrence McKnight, here with stories from people who share the piece of classical music that guided them through some of the most important chapters in their lives. Listen now wherever you get podcasts. Break. on WNYC as we talk about the caravan headed north from Central America in human terms and as an election issue with Nick Miroff, who covers immigration enforcement, drug trafficking, and homeland security for the Washington Post. He's got a major article about this out this week. And Jane in Stamford, Connecticut, you're on WNYC. Hello, Jane. Hi, Brian. How are you? Okay, thank you. Um, Wow, now I'm suddenly really nervous because I'm talking to you. Um, <laughs> it's all right. You, so have, you I, told my screener a really good question. 
Um, so I am horrified, of course, by uh, the plight of the migrants. I, it's just really chilling to hear those stories. And I wouldn't put it past this administration to have had some wealthy, there are so many wealthy um, donors who could have maybe orchestrated this to be timed at this specific, uh, just prior to the election, and to set up a showdown at the border the weekend before the election and have the army and have this big clash at the border just to make Trump mm -hmm. look better. Um, let, he generally blames the Democrats for things that he is responsible for himself. Let's, let's see what our reporter thinks about that. Nick, of course, Trump has been saying, oh, this caravan must have been organized by the Democrats, which would not make intuitive political sense because this big caravan of migrants probably plays to Trump's advantage or the Republicans' advantage in the election. Jane is flipping it and saying maybe the Republicans organized it for exactly that reason. Is there evidence of either as far as you could see? We, you know, we haven't found any yet. We're definitely looking into um, any all and all of those possibilities. But um, so far, you know, what the reporting indicates is that, uh, you know, a Honduran um, uh, a lo former lawmaker who, um, has, you know, has long been involved in kind of migrant activist issues, um, uh, kind of helped organize and promote uh, a caravan that was already, you know, being formed in Honduras. Um, uh, nothing unusual about that. Uh, and that particular caravan spread, you know, really quickly on, on social media and because of the coverage it received on a government um, TV channel in Honduras. And in a matter of, um, you know, in a matter of days, you know, what started out as, a, you know, 200 people quickly um, ballooned into thousands as, um, you know, as, as, as folks saw it as a chance, you know, as we've discussed, to, to, to move, to get to the United States safely and um, inexpensively uh, without the need to, you know, hire a smuggler. Jane, thank you. Please call us again. Um, from a Mexican standpoint, on sort of the same question, Annie reported on how the caravan was allowed to swell in size because it would look bad for the Mexican government to deport something like 7,000 people en masse um, back south. I, the politics of this country might be that Trump would look good if he did it without horrible means like separating families, was able to deport them or prevent them from entering uh, as I guess Mexico either couldn't or didn't attempt to do. Do you have a sense of the politics of Mexico on that? Like Mexicans don't want a lot of um, what they consider illegal immigrants coming up from the Central American countries. Uh, do they, how are the politics different there than here as far as you know? Well, the most important political dynamic to keep in mind here is that the president of Mexico, Enrique Peña Nieto, is out of office on December 1st, right? So we're, you know, five weeks from that. 
Um, he's already been a, a, a very unpopular president, and there really isn't a lot of incentive for him to send you know, Mexican uh, federal police to confront the caravan on the highways with TV cameras rolling. Um, I wouldn't agree with your statement that uh, the Mexican people don't support migrants. I think there's a, a broad amount of sympathy um, in Mexico for migrants, given um, Mexico's past and its past, you know, history of migration to the United States, and we're seeing that in the form of, of, um, of these small town Mexicans um, giving the caravan members food and and donated clothing, and you know they 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 view them, I think, um, by and large as as kind of as pilgrims rather than as as criminals or as a threat. Um, you know, they, I think, you know, you got to keep in mind Mexico is a heavily Catholic country. Pope Francis has spoken um, uh, repeatedly about um, the, the kind of moral and spiritual obligation to protect and, and aid, um, you know, migrants who are seeking a better life. And I think Mexicans, by and large, respond to that. Nell in Manhattan, you're on WNYC. Hi, Nell. Hi, how are you? Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, you know, I'll... One thing in the broader immigration debate that I think that the Democrats should be talking about is that I think people are fearful, when will the immigration end? Can we take everyone from Central America? And we obviously can't. So I think the Democrats should also be, and other progressives, if there are any that are not Democrats, um, should be talking about what we should be doing to help the people in their own country, and how that um, and how that opposes what the Republicans are doing, which I'm guessing is to try to cut as much aid as they can to those countries. Mm-hmm. I think that might uh, allay some of the fears that people have about: Do the Democrats just want to have an open border? By the way, Bernie Sanders just tweeted, what do you mean, progressives, if there are any who aren't Democrats? I'm just maybe kidding. I, maybe I didn't say that. I'm, right. I'm kidding. He didn't uh, oh. just tweet that, but, oh. but oh. He, he, he might have as an independent. But now you ask a very central question, both politically with respect to the Democrats uh, and even to the Republicans while they're in charge, um, um, Nick, What's the real range of policy options? Like Nell brings up, you know, uh, addressing people's fears by saying we should be helping uh, the the countries um, so that there aren't the conditions to send so many uh, poor um, people or people just fleeing for their safety because of because of violent conditions. Trump kind of goes in the opposite direction, at least in his rhetoric, rather than talking about more aid to Honduras or Guatemala or El Salvador uh, to stabilize things there. He's threatening this week to cut off the aid that we send them now if they don't stop allowing people to head toward the United States. So what's the actual range of policy options in this respect? Well, the listener makes a great point. I mean, the Democrats have, have basically stuck their head in the sand on this issue and kind of allowed the president to define it and to run with it. Um, they don't seem to have, um, you know, any kind of coherent response to, um, to, you know, to what he's saying other than to insist that everyone leaving Central America is fleeing violence. 
um, which is which is you know uh, too uh, too much of an oversimplification. The irony of the president threatening to to cut off aid is that a lot of the aid that the United States provides is specifically aimed at um, reducing illegal migration to the United States. Um, You'll recall that in 2014, we had a uh, so-called child migrant crisis that the Obama administration um, responded to um, ex- precisely by looking to um, help improve conditions in Central America. And, um, you know, one of the one of the ironies of all this is that the homicide rates in Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador have actually fallen significantly in the last few years. The homicide rate in Guatemala is at a 17-year low. Um, the homicide rate in Honduras has fallen by more than half um, since uh, 2014, I believe. And uh, and so conditions, security conditions at least, have, while they remain really dire, they have improved to a degree. Um, and uh, addressing, you know, illegal migration like this and, and the, you know, the forces that are pushing and pulling people toward the United States is going to take a lot more um, and will take um, adjustments in our, you know, in our legal system and our asylum framework. Um, unfortunately, we're at this point in the political debate where this issue is so politicized and the debate is, um, uh, I would say, almost poisoned that the possibility of finding some kind of, you know, compromise solution between lawmakers seems, you know, even more remote than ever. And we yeah. saw that, of course, with the DACA debate. Nick Miroff covers immigration enforcement, drug trafficking, and homeland security for the Washington Post. His article uh, on the um, caravan coming from uh, Central America was called The Border is Tougher to Cross Than Ever, But There's Still One Way Into America. Nick, thanks a lot. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to wnyc.org slash election.